Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot on the program today. I want to dig into the Second Amendment scam, this dangerous scam, also a new weapon on the Six Sours introducing that is twice as powerful as the AR-15. It'll penetrate all known body armor and they're gonna be selling them into the uh, US market starting, well, actually they've already started. They've sold about 5,000 of them. And also a deep dive into how Don Jr. ripped off the poor. I mean, grifting runs in this family. It is absolutely amazing. Congressman Ro Khanna will be with us taking your calls in a progressive town hall meeting. And our geeky science. Will we all be living without monarch butterflies soon? This is troubling. But I want to start out with my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com. is titled, America is Occupied by a Dangerous Second Amendment Scam. And that scam, specifically, is this idea which has been promulgated. It really started in the, uh, in the 1980s. The National Rifle Association and some of their buddies started promoting it. Now you've got people like, you know, Texas Congressman Chip Roy just coming right out and saying it on the floor of the House that the Second Amendment is in the Constitution because the founders intended that every American should have a gun. So if the government ever gets out of line and becomes tyrannical, they can shoot at politicians. Seriously. This is what they believe. And it's a complete lie. It's a complete scam. It is shall we say, not true. In fact, it's the, what is true is the opposite. There are five different places in the Constitution where the Constitution puts any militia in America under the control of the federal government. There are two, uh, two clauses in Article 1, Section 8. There's one in Article 3. There's one in Article 4. The, in multiple places in the Constitution, it comes right out and says their, you know, militias must be under the control, essentially, of either the federal government or a state government. We have the militia, there was the Militia Act of 1792 that criminalized private militias. 
You see a bunch of guys with guns, you know, strutting around in the streets and in what appears to be some kind of military formation. That's illegal. That's illegal across the United States. In fact, you know, and, and these guys claim that they're, oh, we've got to stop tyranny. The, the federal government right now is tyranny. What's the tyranny they're talking about? Oh, raising taxes on really rich people, letting gay people get married, let women, letting women have the choice of an abortion, making sure every American has health care and can get free college or trade school, and raising the minimum wage. This is a tyranny that's worth tearing down your government over. This is how weird it's gotten. And now, because we, you know, this, this really, this modern era of, you know, this explosion of guns in America really started in 2008 with the election of Barack Obama. Putting a black man in the White House has produced, over the last 14 years, the same kind of blowback that we saw in, in 1887, 1886, when 1,500 black men took political office across the United States, most, most across the South. And the consequence of that was the end of Reconstruction. There's huge white backlash and the rise of the Klan. Well, they don't call themselves the Klan anymore. They go by different names, but it's essentially the same thing. Armed militias. And, and, they, and they've got some really, really powerful weapons out there. AR-15s will, I mean, in Uvalde, one of those kids literally had his head blown off, decapitated by a single bullet. It'll, it'll blow a hole in your body large enough to put a fist through. And now, uh, excuse me, uh, Sig Sauer has come out with a new weapon that can penetrate any kind of body armor sold, which is uh, you know, pretty bizarre. Um, so this is called the MCX Spear. This is going to be the new AR-15. But, you know, this militia movement, this really started out in the 90s as a fringe movement. In uh, 92, you had uh, Ruby Ridge, Randy Weaver. In 93, you had Waco with David Koresh. In 95, you had Tim McVeigh blowing up the Oklahoma Federal Building, uh, killing 168 people, 19 of them children, and crippling or injuring more than 680 others. And then, and then they kind of went quiet after that, after Tim McVeigh blew up the Federal Building and, and, and you know, the, the tyranny didn't end. Everybody kind of, but, you know, the, the FBI started looking for people. They went underground until Obama was elected. I opened my book on the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment with the story of going to a gun range in Mason, Michigan, Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve uh, or the week of Christmas in 2008. Uh, Obama had just been elected about four weeks earlier. And, uh, you know, they were out of ammunition or very, very low. They would only sell me one box of, of, of bullets. My brothers and I were going to do some competitive shooting on the, on the range that they have there in Mason. And, you know, I said, why? And the guy said, it's that N-word who just got elected to the White House. I mean, he didn't say it quite like that. You, you understand what I'm saying. And, it, in fact, it was such a panic. There was such a panic around ammunition and weapons. That there's a Wikipedia page for it. It happened, it happened in 2008. It happened again in, in 2012 when Obama got reelected. There was a second panic where you couldn't find weapons and ammunition. So what does the government, what does the Constitution say about this? Article 1, Section 8 says that the Congress shall have the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the nation, suppress insurrections, 
and repel invasions. Well, what was January 6th, if not an insurrection? It goes on to say, the Congress shall have the power to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia. Well, if the government is organizing it, it's not a private militia. If the government is arming it, it's not a private militia. If the government is disciplining, it's not a private militia. And then it goes on, Article 1, Section 8 goes on to say, reserving to the states respectively the appointments of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. In other words, the only militias that are legal in the United States are the, the military and the National Guard, the state militias. We had the Militia Act of 1792, as I mentioned. Then there was a Militia Act of 1903 that created the modern-day, uh, you know, what we call the National Guard. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution guarantees us a Republican form of government when ordered by either the Congress or the President against domestic violence. And, and, you know, another reference to this. Article 3, Section 3 defines treason. It's the, literally the only place in the Constitution where a crime is defined. And this is what it says. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in, hearing, or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Well, how is attacking the Capitol building not levying war against the United States government? War is the use of political uh, violence to, to achieve political ends. And that, you know, that was, in my mind, very clearly levying war against the government. So what do we do about this? Well, it turns out all 50 states have already made it illegal for these militias to exist, essentially, as has the Supreme Court. For example, the Virginia... Constitution, which was written in 1776 with the assistance of James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, the Virginia Constitution and George Washington, the Virginia Constitution says that a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper natural and safe defense of a free state. The standing armies in times of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty and that in all cases, the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. In other words, if you want to walk around with a gun and cosplay being a revolutionary patriot or a Klan terrorist, you've got to operate under direction of the governor or the president. In this case, I was reading the Virginia Constitution. That, that would be under the, the, the state of Virginia. The only two states that don't in their constitutions outlaw private militias are Georgia and New York. 29 states have specific laws outlawing private militias. 25 states have laws that generally prohibit, and this is a quote generally from the Brown Center, generally prohibit teaching, demonstrating, instructing, training, and practicing in the use of firearms, explosives, or techniques capable of causing injury or death for use during or in furtherance of a civil disorder. And the Supreme Court in 1886, this is, you know, when Morrison, Morrison Remick Waite was the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, this is the same year we got corporate personhood, in theory anyway, 1886 in Presser v. Illinois. This is what the Supreme Court ruled, and I quote, 
It cannot be successfully questioned that the state governments, unless restrained by their own constitutions, have the power to regulate or prohibit associations and meetings of the people and have also the power to control and regulate the organization, drilling, and parading of military bodies and associations. The exercise of this power by the states is necessary to the public peace, safety, and good order. To deny that power would be to deny the right of the state to disperse assemblages organized for sedition and treason and the right to suppress armed mobs bent on riot and rapine. Back in 1907, when the Klan was the main white supremacist militia, the, the, uh, the state of Washington Supreme Court ruled, quote, Armed bodies of men are a menace to the public. Their mere presence is fraught with danger, and the state has wisely reserved to itself the right to organize, maintain, and employ them. In other words, if you want to be in a militia, join the National Guard. As recently as 1982, a federal court in Texas disbanded the Texas Emergency Reserve. This is a, a private militia. It used to be part of the Klan. They were harassing Vietnamese fishermen. And they were banned from, quote, trading and parading in public with firearms. Yesterday, I told you about how one in five Americans now think violence is justified for, for political purposes. And roughly 18 million Americans, when asked, are you willing to kill another American to accomplish a political goal, say yes. This is the result of 40 years now of our being told that normal government functions are tyranny, that the founders and framers wanted, wanted average people to have guns so that they could shoot at cops and politicians. And I'm telling you, the, the proverbial chickens are coming home to roost. This is a dangerous time in America. We've got militias out there that are you know, threatening people who have testified against Trump who are threatening people of color, who are protesting our queer brothers and sisters. and I, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on. The, the, the threat to liberty in the United States is now coming from people who claim to be acting on behalf of liberty in the United States, if that's not ironic enough for you. The states need to get this under control and start enforcing the laws that are already on the books. And frankly, we need to have an assault weapons ban. We need to do something about these new weapons, this new weapon that Six Hour has come out with that will kill any cop. It'll penetrate any bulletproof armor available in the United States right now. And they're going to be selling it into the civilian market next year. Robert in Grays Lake, Illinois. Hey, Robert, it says you disagree with me. What's on your mind? Uh, Tom, it's regarding the Second Amendment. Now, I want to sort of make clear i'm a leftist i'm on the same side you are doesn't matter however <laughs> if you I, want to disagree with I know me it you're doesn't matter. I know it does, uh, yeah i still disagree with you the, every time i hear people talk about the second amendment they make the same fatal mistake there are two clauses in that in, in the second amendment that describe two groups of people the first one is militia and by reference it points to it throughout the constitution there's a comma after that and then the phrase the, the, the right of the people, which is the second group, shall not be infringed. That is exactly the interpretation that the Supreme Court is resting on, and it's exactly the argument that the right wing will seize on if any attempt by the government is made to, to restrict or, or somehow outlaw 
assault rifles. I know this is the, your 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 you're essentially arguing the Heller argument. I think it's BS. It's not. It's if not, you simply not. go back and read the debates in Congress when the Second Amendment was hammered out, you will know that it's BS. But you know That's Scalia called, didn't want to do that. But you're right. Context, this is um, the law right no, now. Yes. No. I'm saying the reading of the Second Amendment actually supports not. It supports the legal conclusion. The parole evidence is what you're describing. These debates are irrelevant. It doesn't matter what the debates were. What was written down, the black letter law, identifies two groups. There's the militia, which is already talked about in the Constitution, and identifies... If they wanted to to separate those, Robert, they would have used a period, not a comma. And I'll just leave it at that. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's up? I'm glad to hear you say it this morning. It's always bugged me when people are saying, like, oh, I need my guns in case the government gets too oppressive. And I always push back with, you're not going to have enough guns if the government wants to. Well, and beyond that, what is so oppressive about gay marriage, uh, taxes on billionaires, free college for people, you know, better health care, lower drug prices? I mean, you know, please tell me what is oppressive here. 100% 100% agree, obviously. And, but, but what I wanted to point to in that regards is Sri Lanka, what just happened. The only thing that's going to determine whether people can take back their government is the willingness of the party in power when they get enough pushback to resign or not. If they don't want to resign, it doesn't matter how many guns I'm sitting on in my house. If the army wants to come to my house, and even if I have a few cosplay buddies, you, you know, they're going to they're gonna win the army, the government. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the sovereign won't leave power, which they just did in, in Sri Lanka, 
And I, I have to. I don't think the people were heavily armed. I don't think they were. No, armed they were at not. All, but they, they were. They were not armed. Yeah. And, and because they have gun control in Sri Lanka, and but, but they did force the government out, and that's that's the point. You can you know political power is political power, and, and when held in the mass, and, and that government in Sri Lanka was extraordinarily corrupt, and they knew it. Uh, you know, which is I think why they you know turned tail and ran. But your point is well taken, Brian. Thank you very much, Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's up? Uh, hi, uh, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I think I was listening to you yesterday, and you mentioned that stripping Senator Joe Manchin from his committee assignments uh, would be a good idea. However, wouldn't that give the Republicans a majority on the Senate? Yes, it would. Uh, yeah, well, wouldn't that be worse? Well, A, I'm not saying we should do this. I'm saying I'm no longer afraid of doing this. And there's a difference, but, you know, A. Uh, yeah. uh, B, the guy who got me going down this road was Robert Reich. And his, his point was that we're in, in what, 10 weeks or so, we're going to go to the American people. The Democrats are going to go to the American people and say, reelect us. Keep us in power in the Senate, specifically. And... And the American people, many of them, particularly low-information voters, which is more than half of America, you know, frankly, uh, they're going to say, wait a minute, you've got the Senate, you've got the House, you've got the White House, you didn't do squat, why should we put you back in power? So if we were to strip Joe Manchin of his committee assignments, and, and I would probably toss Kirsten Sinema into that too, but if we were to yeah. strip him of his committee assignments and he was to do what his, the guy who followed him as governor of West Virginia, uh, Jim Justice, did, Jim Justice was elected as a Democrat to the governorship, and then, you know, when Trump was elected in 2016, Jim Justice flipped to becoming a Republican. He's still the governor of West Virginia, I believe. If Joe Manchin did that and flipped to becoming a Republican, yes, we would lose control of the Senate. Then our pitch in November to the American people is, give us the Senate and we'll show you what we can do, rather than, you know, we've already got the Senate, but we really just need a little more of it. And Robert yeah. Reich, yeah. who's no yeah. dummy, I mean, you know, he worked in the White House all those years as Clinton's uh, labor secretary, uh, says that he thinks that would be a stronger argument. I, I, I can't dispute that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it should be done, but I'm saying I'm no longer afraid of holding Joe Manchin to account. Yeah, I, I agree with that view, and I think Robert Reich is, is a very respectable guy. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you're welcome, Alfredo. Thank you for the call. Randall in Oklahoma City. Hey, Randall, what's on your mind today? Well, I know a lot about these militias because 168 dead Oklahomans, and the government knew these militia movements were going, you know, and whatever, and the guy that did it was in the Army. And, uh, yeah, Gulf Tim McVeigh, yeah. Yeah, and he had killed people. He was a machine gunner on a Bradley tank. Anyway, that stuff is deadly, and I knew a guy that died there. Oh, and my. anyway, that's. Uh, but after that, they kind of went away because the government said, boy, this is a problem. You know how you close the barn door mm -hmm. after the horse gets out? Well, they went after the, and it didn't really make the news. They knew how to keep it out of the news because, you know, that was. Well, that also helped lead to the assault weapons ban in, in uh, 1995, I think it was, that Bill Clinton got that passed, 94 or 95. Yeah, yeah. And they lost the House or the Senate or something. I don't remember. It, yeah. it, they paid a price for it in the... Uh, yeah, that uh, was the Gingrich anyway, Revolution, yeah. Yeah, the Gingrich 96. contract on America. Yeah. For America, on America. He, anyway, I'm just telling you, this stuff is serious, and these people are serious, and... 
Oh, this new Army rifle, it's called New Generation. It's an $8,000 rifle. I know. So not very many people can get it. Hey, keep up the great work. Appreciate okay. It. Thanks a lot, uh, Randall. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for the testimony from Oklahoma. Appreciate it. Congressman Ro Khanna, he represents the 17th District of California. He's vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep Ro Khanna, R-O-K-H-A-N-N-A. And Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. So uh, appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for doing this. So President Biden this week didn't quite declare a climate emergency, but he did put forward some executive orders that seemed of some consequence. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. And then you've got this this chips legislation that uh, Bernie actually dropped by either last Friday or Monday. I forget which, but you know, a couple of days ago and and uh, weighed in on. So uh, your thoughts on those things? Yeah. So uh, I just saw Senator Markey this morning, who was with the president. And the good news is the president put climate and emergency, uh, I think, in the same sentence. And now he's just got to go uh, one step further and declare a climate emergency. The executive actions that he has taken are strong. I mean, they increase the EPA's ability to, to regulate. But what a climate emergency would do is actually allow him to transfer funds to be able to invest in solar and wind and heating pumps and other renewable energy. I mean, remember what Trump did when he declared a border emergency. He was able to actually use funds for the border. And it would also give him the ability to deny permitting for new fossil fuel projects on federal land that are going to cause a great CO2 emission. So I believe maybe he's going to give another month or so in a hopes that the inflation numbers will come down and still there could be some climate deal. But uh, eventually, I, I'm pretty confident he is going to declare the climate emergency. Uh, on the chips bill, you know, I fundamentally believe we have to reindustrialize this country. We've got to bring production back. We've got to get jobs. But I agree with Senator Sanders's point that you can't just have a blank check to uh, these semiconductor companies. And one of the things that we're working on as a progressive caucus is to pass this, but to make sure that the money can't go into stock buybacks, that the money actually has to go into production in the United States, building the factories here in the United States. Yeah. Well, it seems like a, a great first step. Is there anything else you want to flag for folks before we get started? Or you want to start picking up phone calls here? Why don't we go, go to phone calls? I, All right. I, I think those are the two key issues. There you go. Okay, thank you. Bill in Sierra Blanca, Texas. Bill, you are on the air with Representative Khanna. Thanks, Tom. Representative Khanna, I have great respect for your work. But my, I want your thoughts on this, uh, Congressman. You know, Pres as you know, President Biden uh, went to Saudi Arabia, and uh, we all know that he, we're trying to get, he's trying to get more oil. And unfortunately, that's what America, the American people want. It's critical to getting him reelected, or I guess for the midterms, I'm sure. However, don't you think that it would have been better for President Biden to go to Iran that has vast quantities of oil that could be released instead of Saudi Arabia, where he got bolstered and, and slammed? Um, now we have China going to farm the lives for drones in Iran. So what do you think? Well, but look, I was opposed to him going and meeting MBS. 
uh, Senator Sanders and I, uh, as some of the uh, listeners will know, have led the effort to stop the Saudi brutal war in Yemen. Uh, MBS is most responsible for that war. He's most responsible for the killing of Khashoggi. Uh, there's no reason he should have met. Uh, the Saudis are playing us. It's not like they're increasing suddenly production. There are other things we can do to lower oil prices, starting with stopping the export of our oil, which we didn't do before 2015. We can exempt European allies, but there's no reason to be exporting our gasoline and oil around the world right now. And second, we could be buying the oil at the at the dips like now and then selling it back to the American public at a at a lower price to, get, to put downward pressure. That's what the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is. Uh, so I don't think this trip is going to succeed in getting Saudi Arabia to do anything. And unfortunately, I think it compromised some of our uh, leverage where Biden, President Biden had said he was going to make Saudi Arabia a prize state and end the war in Yemen. And it's given away some of our leverage. Diane in St. Paul, Minnesota, you are on the air with Representative Khanna. Hello, and thank you for taking my call. I am very concerned with, with what seems to be pandering to the religious right for the Supreme Court. What can be done to secure the separation of church and state? Well, we need to continue to pass legislation in Congress that makes that clear. I mean, the Supreme Court has been eviscerating it, allowing for school prayer, allow, allowing for religious speech in school settings. And so Congress, I think, needs to step up and say there are certain things that are coercive speech and push back. I mean, one of the things we need with an expansionist Supreme Court in terms of an active Supreme Court is for Congress and the executive branch to push back in the other direction. You know, the IRS has not meaningfully enforced the nonprofit law against, or the IRS rules against nonprofits engaging in political activity, basically since the Reagan administration. Any, any way to push that? Yeah, I mean, I think we should be making sure that the institutions aren't engaged in political speech. And there's a, a line. I mean, look, we can welcome people who have a faith and should to, 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 to participate in the political process. I think what people don't want is the coercion. They don't want in in the public space, space in schools and in public institutions to be coerced under a certain faith, because the whole point is to have multiple faiths in this country. Morris in Long Beach, California, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Congressman, I know you and the other house, but uh, does Chucky have a plan to deal with the obstructionists in his own party? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Schumer, Chuck Schumer. Uh, does he have a plan to deal with the obstructionists in his own party? I'm talking about Manchin, and I'm talking about Cinema. Uh, now, the Grim Reaper, he don't have a D in front of his name, so we don't expect nothing from him. But Manchin's got a D in front of his name, and so does Cinema. Does Chuck Schumer have a plan to address the obstructionists in his own party? Otherwise, we can't go nowhere. But thank you for this time. And good morning, time. Bye-bye. Well, look, I think Senator Schumer has been trying. He's been sitting down trying to get a deal with Senator Manchin. And the reality is that it hasn't gone anywhere. And this is why we're saying we need more than a 50-50 Senate to get these things done. I mean, it's really been two senators that uh, have prevented a lot of the president's agenda uh, from going through and the Republicans. But uh, I believe the Senator uh, Schumer is going to continue to try. And uh, the hope now is that if the inflation numbers come down, which they will in August, the August report, that uh, we can get something done on climate. Ed in Chicago, just a minute to the break, Ed. You got a quick question? Yeah, is there a talking point czar for the Tem Democratic Party? Uh, my, when, a Demo when a Democratic representative comes up with a great point, it disappears. 
compared to when a Republican representative comes up with a great point, the entire party jumps on it like a dog with a bone. Don't you guys get a list every day of possible talking points from, from, from your colleagues that would make great talking points? And we do get them from the White House and the Speaker. The Republicans, of course, have a much bigger media chamber and an echo chamber, and we've talked about this a number of times. They've invested in talk radio. They've invested more in cable networks and bloggers and an echo chamber on Facebook. But, you know, one, we need a more coordinated response uh, and, and punchy. It doesn't just have to come from the top, more of a grassroots ability to have the message. And two, we need to have more infrastructure to amplify it. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Khan in just a moment. You can find his website at Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Cliff in Parma, Ohio. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Good morning, gentlemen. I want to take the time to thank Congressman Polkana and the Democrats for the rescue plan and helping small people like me. I'm a retired senior living on a partial Social Security and pension, and thanks to the Democrats, uh, they added money to my food stamps, which really comes in handy. They added money to uh, my HEAP account, which helps pay for my energy. They lowered the cost of my Internet with the uh, EBB legislation. Of course, the child tax credits, that expired, you know. But they also helped my union pension fund, and that's the reason I'm calling. The question is simple. How long will this bailout help them, and how long will they be sustainable, you know, to where I can count on that money coming every month? Thank you, guys. I'll, I'll listen off air. 
offline. Well, thank you. Thank you for that call. We ought to put you on CNN and MSNBC. That's, <laughs> that's the most uh, effective call uh, in terms of what we've done. And I, I say this, we should not be apologetic for the American Rescue Plan. I would cast the same exact vote today. Cast the same exact vote because people were hurting back then. They needed an increase in food stamps. They needed an increase in that stimulus check to make ends meet and not get uh, evicted or thrown out of their house. Uh, they needed the support. The cities needed the support. Uh, and I'm glad that you, you personalized it because I'm very proud of what we did in that bill, and I'm proud of what we did to secure the pensions. My understanding is that that has secured the pensions uh, for, the, for the next decade, but I will check uh, so I'm getting you the accurate information and, uh, and follow up if, if that's uh, not correct. But my understanding is it secured those pensions that, that we helped for the next decade. Elizabeth in Miami, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thank you so much. Representative Connor, I really appreciate you. I'm 75 years old. My career was in federal government as a clinical and medical researcher. I have Parkinson's disease diagnosed in 18, but probably had it for 15 years prior. I could not tolerate Cinemat, which Medicare would pay for. As a researcher, I found better treatment through natural sources. My L-Dopa comes from a bean, a seed of a bean. 98% gets past my blood-gut barrier, my blood-brain barrier, and into my partisan factor where it belongs. I now am complicated by long COVID with excruciating Symptoms. I'm trying to participate in the recover program. There's not one in Miami available yet. I have not slept in 38 days. Two um, saved my life since December 13 when it hit me. So, Elizabeth, is your question why doesn't Medicare pay for these natural is, treatments? Why, why does Medicare not pay for alternative medication when we have so many different types of medicine people in the country? Thank you. Well, Elizabeth, I admire your resilience. Uh, I admire your dealing with Parkinson, and your speech is uh, incredibly clear. So uh, whatever you're doing is, is working. Uh, look, I'm open to uh, making sure that we are covering a wide variety of medicines. I just want to make sure that we're not uh, covering the quacks and the, 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 the uh, types of things that are making a profit exploiting people. But the as Dr. long as there's Oz's some baseline... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As long as there's some baseline to it, I, you know, I, I, I understand that it's there are many traditions of medicine, uh, but we got to protect people from people who are just trying to exploit it to make a profit. Mike in Marshalltown, Iowa, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, Mr. O'Connor, I had a, a question about my Part D insurance and how these insurance companies can regulate my uh, Part D insurance because I was getting two medications and one of them was Copetagrel and it was uh, a, a medication I'd been taking for four years. Now it cost me eight bucks, I mean $11, but I can get my medication now instead at the VA for $8 and I don't understand what these insurance companies are trying to do. Thank you for taking my call. 
Well, look, I, I think these insurance companies are the biggest part of the problem in the medical system. I mean, the, the, the idea is that, that they are making all of these profits and they are passing it down to people like you. And it, that's why we need Medicare for all, which isn't going to have these co-pays, which isn't going to have these deductibles. Uh, and everyone has to pay something for it. Uh, Bernie Sanders was very honest about that. Everyone, you know, health care isn't free. Everyone will pay something into it. But it's going to be far, far, far less than you're paying right now for the drugs, for the co-pays, for the deductibles. Mary in Las Vegas, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Congressman. Um, is there any way they can make a change to the 401k where you can draw down a, a certain dollar amount uh, so that you could put it uh, down on your mortgage? Um, to help pay your mortgage off uh, faster or pay it off completely, because my my interest rate's lower than than low. <laughs> yeah. Murray, that's a great question. I mean, we earlier had a, a great question about could you uh, extend the age if it's in a downturn market. I think your point is a good one, too. I mean, if someone wants to be able to, for their first home, I mean, they're, the home they're living in, uh, want to pay that down, uh, that, that's something we should look at. I'm, I'm happy to take a look at that. And Louis Obispo, California, you're on the air with Congressman Conant. And we have about a minute and a half. Yes, Congressman. Okay, yes, Congressman. Uh, we all know the Biden administration has been weighing, canceling student loans. And recently it was reported that there was concern it would add to inflation. How about if we have a retroactive reset of the interest rate to 0% interest, which would, in effect, for many people, pay their loans off? You know, that's an idea worth looking at in terms of having zero interest. And a lot of what people have been paying has been the interest, uh, and it would forgive a lot of it. Uh, the, the inflation argument I don't buy because currently there's a suspension on the loan repayment. So it's not like suddenly uh, you're going to have a, uh, a large infusion of cash back to people. I mean, they currently aren't paying it. And the loan forgiveness is over many years. So it's not some massive stimulus into the economy. Congressman, in our last 30 seconds here, what should we be looking for and where would you suggest we focus our, our uh, activist efforts in the coming weeks? We've got to focus on climate. I mean, I'm concerned that we may, again, uh, like the Obama years, not do anything on climate. And, and every year that passes is more urgent. And it's really heartbreaking to me that we haven't been able to get this deal, uh, which would have been a massive investment. Uh, and then we've got to figure out what more we can do on uh, lowering prices and having bold government action on the economy. I mean, I, I think that is going to be the defining issue as we head into the fall. Thank you so much. Thanks so, so much for dropping by, Congressman. It's always great. Having I'm you great. On. A lot of great ideas today. So enjoyed it. Indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. This is from the New Republic, newrepublic.com. It's an article by Joe Rubin. It's titled, How Donald Trump Jr. Promised and Failed to House the World's Poor. And this is just incredible. Back, I'm just going to share some excerpts from this article with you. We'll just pop through it. Back in 2010, Trump Jr. and his business partners made a surprising vow to build millions of units of prefabricated low-cost housing for some of the world's poorest families and ship them to country, countries around the globe. And so basically, he was going to sell these house, house kits, right? A home and a kit, complete with a wind turbine that goes on the roof. 
The business plans included Donald Trump Jr.'s photograph and financial protection projections that indicated hundreds of thousands of homes would be built, creating billions of dollars in revenue. And in reality, all they were, we were able to find, this is the reporters, are a few properties that the company built, including one for the mayor of North Charleston, South Carolina, a major booster of the company, and a handful of kits the company set abroad. In the process, they left investors high and dry and sued creditors rather than paying them what they were owed. They, they claimed giant losses on their tax returns, damaged a small law firm by fa failing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal bills, and refused to pay a temporary employment agency for workers that the company provided. Ultimately, one burned customer told us Don Jr. resembled more of a three-card Monty dealer than the benevolent son of a billionaire trying to make his mark. Lee Eckemeyer, a Washington state farmer who put in a nearly million-dollar investment, later claimed in court documents that he was taken advantage of in a conspiracy to deprive him of his money. These guys bought a factory. They bought this factory from this, this guy named Franz Meyer, and Meyer financed the loan to them. They bought it for a mere $4 million. It was a factory to build prefabbed homes. Uh, and Meyer financed a million dollars of that purchase price. And rather than work through the banks, because Trump couldn't get bank credit, Meyer adopted a roughly $10,000 monthly payment schedule over 10 years. But after two payments from Trump to the guy who sold him the factory, the money stopped. So Meyer got screwed for his million dollars, and he got screwed for his $3 million dollars. A Bronx-based billionaire or businessman, excuse me, Carlos Perez, was likewise, likewise impressed by Don Jr. Uh, he and a partner agreed to purchase 36,000 of these home kits, $900 million worth. He was going to ship them to the Middle East. He wired $115,000 to Trump's company for three housing kits, and uh, he was going to use them as uh, models to get financing from sovereign wealth funds. And uh, when the shipping container arrived, he wrote, he wrote a letter to Don Jr. complaining that the container was filled with garbage. He, in another email, he said there were no windows, no doors, no cabinets, no plumbing, no electrical, no cables, no reinforcing bars. Even after phone calls and visits to Trump Tower, Trump Jr. refused to give him his money back. One of the few customers who purchased a housing kit uh, told me that after a few days after the housing kit arrived in Haiti in 2011, another crate showed up with a wind turbine along with a COD invoice, pay on delivery for thousands of dollars. It turned out to be worthless stuff. Uh, because the Haitian small businessman had also been promised he could be a sales rep for this exciting-sounding company led by the son of a billionaire, he decided to pay up. He paid the COD invoice. But the turbine provided, proved worthless, as Sully said, describing it as impossible to put together and missing parts. So Trump Jr. is collecting millions and millions of dollars from investors, hundreds of thousands of dollars from people purchasing these home kits, or millions of dollars from these people purchasing them. He ships out a little bit of junk. People threaten to sue him, and his response is, you sue me, I'll sue you back, and my pockets are deeper. And so people are just walking away saying, okay, I just lost a million dollars. It's like grifting runs in their family. It's pretty breathtaking, isn't it? It's amazing. It's, a, it's over at the New Republic if you want to read the whole thing. It's a, like a 15, 20-page long article. It goes into a considerable depth. And, it, and every layer of it is just more and more corrupt, more and more sleazy. It's incredible.
Alrighty, let's pick up your phone calls here. Steve in Sebring, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. I had a story about Paul Manafort's father. He was the mayor of New Britain, Connecticut, from 68 to 72. He had a construction company, and he was a, a big grifter. Uh, while he was uh, mayor, he made a, a, a like a secret deal with the president of, of Central Connecticut State College, which I went to back in uh, late 60s and the 70s. And they and one morning, people came into to the campus, the park, and they found out there were coin-operated toll gates, to and it caused a big mess around college. Students protested. They they tore down the gates. A big mess. The president said, "Well, if if we didn't have the toll gates, we'd have to charge you more for your parking sticker." And uh, they stopped traffic around the college. And Paul Manafort came out in his suit, and somebody said, "There's Manafort now." And he says, uh, "And one of the one person said, hey, what kind of kickback deal have you got going with with the college?'" And then somebody yelled out from the crowd, and he says, oh, don't confuse Manafort with a fax. And now, a couple of years ago, they made a street sign for his father, Paul Manafort Drive or something next to the college. And uh, there's a black woman came to the town council in New Britain and said, hey, that ain't right. But she did it because of his son. And I'm saying it's not just because of that. It's because he was a grifter, too. Yeah. And they reach, they rechanged the street named after a Central Connecticut State alumni, a black man who was the first ambassador for the United States. Amazing. What a story. Amazing. It's, it it yeah, reminds me of Jared Kushner. You know, his dad was convicted of being a grifter, went to prison for being a grifter, and now his son's a grifter who just extracted $2 billion from Saudi Arabia. And, and who convicted him? You know who convicted him? The ex-governor of New Jersey convicted him. That's why he couldn't get into uh, Trump's, you know, uh, orbit to be, you know, get a job with Trump organization in, in uh, Kushner Sr. you're talking about? or Or... Yeah, Krish, uh, Kushner Sr. was convicted by that governor. You you know the ex-governor. It's on ABC. Yeah, are you talking about Chris Christie? Oh, Chris Christie. He he got Kushner. Oh, that's convicted. right. And, You're and, right. Yeah. He was he was the federal prosecutor who exactly. put who put Kushner's exactly. dad in prison. And you're um, absolutely right. And that's and that's why when Kushner got into the White House, he prevented Chris Christie because Chris Christie was in line to be chief that's of staff. Right. Yeah. And Mark that's Meadows right. got the job instead. Oh yeah. And and that's why uh, Christie said he never convicted an innocent man. That's what he said. Yeah. Well. On TV. He may he may well have been right. Hey, Steve, thanks a lot for the call. That was fascinating. I had no idea that Paul Manafort was also a multi generational grifter. It's amazing these guys, these grifters. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is uh, by Vicki Ward. It's titled Kushner, Inc., Greed, Ambition, Corruption. Uh, this is from Chapter 2. It's about Jared Kushner's childhood and his father, Charlie. As Jared Kushner grew into his teens, attending the Frisch School, a co-ed modern Orthodox yeshiva in Paramus, New Jersey, where he was an average student, ranked in the third track of five in his grade, his father aggressively built an empire for his firstborn to inherit. It was a pedestrian colossus, tens of thousands of so-called garden apartments, multifamily buildings surrounded by landscaping, mostly in New Jersey. But the income from them was enough to turn Charlie Kushner into someone whose money and approval were sought by local politicians. He was now a New Jersey power broker. The logic behind Charlie's largesse was fairly simple, according to a Kushner family member. Quote, Charlie had a messianic complex. It was his father who delivered us from Poland, and Charlie was going to deliver us to Manhattan. He's going to get us out of New Jersey and onto the Forbes 500 list. But to do that, you've got to buy Governor Jim McGreevy, end quote. In November 2001, McGreevy had won the gubernatorial election with a friendly push from Charlie and his pals. Charlie was now an autocrat whose reign sometimes felt like a noose to his relatives, friends, employees, and even fellow synagogue members who came to be in his debt. His role as a family patriarch meant his relatives were not to question his aggressive methods of social advancement. He was nicknamed the Dapper Don, or Don Corleone, partly because of his natty suits and perfectly coiffed hair, but the nickname was also appropriate, some felt, given Charlie's godfather-like approach to running both his business and his personal life. Business was life. Life was business. Take Marcy Plotkin, for example, the accountant Charlie had fired for having an affair with his brother-in-law. Even though she was now at the accounting firm of SSMB, Kushner companies still paid her annual bonuses of between fifteen dollars and $25,000 and reimbursed Plotkin for the cost of her son's private school tuition, which was disguised to the IRS as a legal expense. Charlie wasn't just being nice. He needed her cooperation. Beginning in the mid-1990s, at Charlie's direction, according to legal records, the company had begun to commit financial fraud to fund his growing social, political, and financial ambitions. As is common in real estate firms, each of the entities Charlie owned had its own LLC, or was its own LLC, and each LLC was owned by a partnership, a combination of Charlie and some backers. All of the LLCs passed down by Joe Kushner were, per the instructions of his will, equally divided among Charlie and his three siblings and the respective children's trusts. But Charlie set up a management company, Westminster Management, and made himself the manager of all the buildings. Initially, his siblings all thought this was a good idea. Charlie viewed his increasingly public profile as a public service, but his lust for the limelight brought some large bills. He invited politicians to speak, often for a large fee and an assortment of venues, ranging from his office to his home, off-site conferences, and his synagogue. He even invited the entire New Jersey political leadership to attend Kushner's baby, baby's bris. A speech by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, for example, cost as much as $100,000 and Charlie paid him to speak in New Jersey four times. Rather than pay out of his own pocket for his many political and charitable contributions, Charlie, or senior executives in the firm at Charlie's direction, took LLC money without pre-approval from the partners in the LLC to cover these costs. None of the Kushner Company's partners were informed of how their money was being spent. Not Charlie's business partners, his friends, or even his siblings, children, nieces, and nephews. Nor did they know that neither the internal nor external ledger presented the true numbers for each of the LLCs. If Charlie was short on cash on one project, he borrowed from the bank account of another. That wasn't the only fudging that went on. According to court documents, there was euphemistic language used at the Tuesday weekly meetings, also called cash meetings, 
held at Charlie's home early in the morning. The phrase losing a bill, as in, how do we lose this bill, meant finding a way to turn an expense from one project into a capital deduction somewhere else. Personal expenses were also lost and submitted as capital business expenses from whichever LLC Richard Stradmeyer and, and an executive vice president Scott Zecker picked. Those ranged from Charlie's home improvements to vacations, New Jersey Nets tickets, Super Bowl packages, even the alcohol Charlie and Cheryl Kushner bought for holiday celebrations. A contribution from Charlie to Harvard University to smooth the way for Jared's admission was funded by the company, not Charlie. The check was signed by Zecker, and that was no accident. Charlie never signed anything. His corner office in Florham Park was enormous but spartan. It was 40 feet long and had a private shower and sitting area. He also had a vast outdoor terrace on which he built a sukkah, a temporary outdoor hut, under the roof of which he and his family would celebrate the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. His desk, however, had nothing on it. No pens, no paper, no computer. Most critical of all to the apparent health of the company's balance sheet was what was called a Richard Special, named after Richard Statmauer, Charlie's brother-in-law and vice chairman of the Kushner Companies, which was essentially bank fraud. If Charlie wanted to do an acquisition or do a refinancing that required a line of credit, Stottmauer, a chartered accountant and Mensa member, would direct a subordinate to alter the figures so that the banks would be tricked into believing Kushner Company's finances met the preconditions of their covenants. As a result, the firm would receive lines of credit and tax deductions it should not have been entitled to. Most of the senior members of Kushner's companies knew what was going on. The book by Vicki Ward, Kushner, Inc., Greed, Ambition, Corruption. Just a, uh, a quick note here, ProPublica, uh, their big story today, they just published it. The state of Florida has now helped 10 ex-felons register to vote, and now they are threatening to put them all in jail. His last night as a prisoner in North Florida, Kelvin Bowden couldn't sleep. 55 years old with a wispy goatee, the same color as the gray flex in his hair. He was about to get out after serving a two and a half year sentence for theft and battery. The last time he'd seen his brothers and sisters was at a big family gathering. Uh, now Bolton was so close to being free. The next morning, a bright Wednesday, he was already dressed in his street clothes and clear to go when the woman processing his paperwork stopped him. The lady said, hold on, you can't go anywhere. Confused, he asked her what was going on. She said there was a warrant out for his arrest for incidents in 2020. But that was impossible, he said. He'd been in jail at the time awaiting his prison stint. Guards put him in a van, drove him an hour and a half to another jail. There he found out what he'd done wrong. He had voted. In 2018, voters overwhelmingly passed Amendment 4 in this ballot initiative, which said that ex-felons could vote. And there were a bunch of ex-felons who then, you know, because they thought, hey, it's the law, who were then registered to vote. And it turns out that uh, DeSantis got this thing flipped around. This is an amazing story. I'm going to do a deeper dive on this. This is mind-boggling. Anyhow, what did you think of Garland's announcement? I found it incredibly reassuring. You know, President Biden now has COVID. I'm going to be hopping on an airplane in a week and a half to go to my brother's memorial service in Michigan. And it seems to me that Everybody is just now going, yeah, I'm going to get COVID. I heard on NPR this morning, there's 800,000 cases a day, brand new cases of COVID. It's like, is there going to be anybody left who hasn't had it? So far, I haven't. But I'm very skeptical that I will be able to make this trip and come back without getting it. 
And, you know, Nancy Pelosi got it. She's like, what, 80? Seems to do fine with it. Are we thinking now of COVID as the flu? Have we reached that point with this BA5? Maybe. On the other hand, the Oregonian yesterday, our local newspaper, had a front page story about how the hospitals are surging again with COVID. And it's the BA5, and it's putting people in the hospital. There's like four, over 400 people in the hospital just here in Portland. Now, my guess is most of those people are not vaccinated, or maybe just one vaccine, and they never you know, did the whole series and didn't get boosted. I don't know. But, you know, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? What are your thoughts on this? Have you had COVID? Do you feel immune? Are you back to normal? We took one of our daughters to dinner last night in a little restaurant nearby, but they have outdoor seating. So, we, you know, we sat outside. It, it's, uh, we're, still, we're still not taking chances. How about you? Remember monarch butterflies? If you're of a certain age, you probably do. I remember, you know, my childhood in Michigan, you knew it was spring when the monarch butterflies arrived from Mexico. They were all over the place. Of course, we we lived on the edge. We lived in a brand new suburb that was built right in the middle of farmland all around us. And so there was milkweed all over the place. But I I just remember monarch butterflies always, everywhere. I haven't seen a monarch butterfly in years. And this, this new study, this uh, it just came, came out today. It was just published. Stuart Pym at Duke University said, this is a devastating decline. This came from the International Union for Conservation of Nature. And they have now uh, listed the monarch butterfly, put it on their red list of threatened species and listed it as endangered. That's just two steps from extinct. They said that the North American population of monarch butterflies just over the last 10 years has declined as much as 10%. This is just another tragedy of nature. I mean, the, the, we can see what's going on, and it's just heartbreaking. So, picking up your phone calls here, Bob in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind? So, I just wanted to offer maybe some suggestions that maybe for your trip on to for your brother's memorial, mm-hmm. that is not inevitable that you're going to get sick. Right. That um, something that I've been using has been a heat is basically sauna and cold, because it in, in, it helps your innate and your specific uh, um, you crank your immune system. Huh. You crank your immune system. The other thing is, of course, I know you're wear, you're probably wearing an N95 all the way. Yeah. Just assuming everybody is a prospective carrier. And I think the, the biggest risk is probably not so much the plane, but going to be the people in the airport itself. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. boosting I, your immune system, just going in, in overload for that for the next week or so. Yeah, one of our neighbors went on a trip and came back with COVID. And, you know, I said, where do you think you got it? And he said, I, I think we got it at the food court because we took our masks off to eat. And uh, if I had to do it again, I would not eat it in an airport because, you know, the air is all trapped in the airport and millions of people go through there and it's probably a COVID farm. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to eat before I get to the eat airport. Outside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, yes. typically airports don't have outs- outdoor eating. But yeah, excellent point. So have you avoided but, uh, COVID so far, Bob? I think so. I have to because I also have a family member who's going through cancer treatment right now. Yeah. Well, I've got a 92-year-old mother-in-law, too, and, you know, who's in great health. (laughs) But, you know, I don't want to be bringing COVID to the family. Bob, thank you for the call. And thanks for the the well wishes and the positive suggestions. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. 
tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you and stay safe. eh? See you tomorrow. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.